Welcome to the Feeling Bookish podcast. Uh, my name is Rob Fay. I'm coming to you from Beaverton, Oregon, and I'm with Roman Sivkin, who is still on the West Coast. He's in uh, Ventura, California, and we've got Roman. Uh, we've got Heston Hoffman uh, across the Willamette River uh, in inner Southeast Portland. And today we're really pleased to have a special guest with us, someone who we've wanted to talk to for a while. And we have uh, Yelena Furman. She is a lecturer at UCLA, uh, and she's a specialist in post-Soviet literature. Um, she's written for the Los Angeles Re Review of Books, uh, the Jewish Quarterly, Narrative Magazine. And um, she is the founder of a really uh, great site that you should take some time to check out called Punctured Lines. And it's uh, with her uh, companion and partner, uh, Olga Zyberborg. Uh, and again, with a focus on um, post-Soviet literature. So, um, Elena, one of the things I, I think that might help the discussion and to help uh, folks who, who might be familiar with the classics of Russian literature but um, less are less familiar with writers uh, of the last 30 years or so. And so um, maybe we can start here. Uh, in 2015, uh, Svetlana Alekseevich uh, won the Nobel Prize for her, her books, which are kind of collections of um, oral histories of, you know, these huge events um, in Russian history. And so... Curiously enough, she is um, she writes in Russian, but she is uh, Belarusian. So it kind of begs the question of if we're talking about um, post-Soviet literature, help us understand the landscape here. Does this include Ukrainian writers, uh, obviously Russian writers? Uh, does it include uh, writers from the former Baltic or the Baltic countries? Does it include the Russian diaspora here in the West? So. Maybe that's a way to, uh, you know, help our listeners start thinking about this topic. Yeah. So thank you. That's that's actually a great question, and um, that's something that goes to the core of um, things that I write about and, and talk about, which is diaspora writing um, of, of the ex-Soviet sphere. Yeah. So uh, post-Soviet literature can be any number of things. Um, it certainly includes those people who are uh, writing in Russia and who live in Russia, but it's certainly not limited to them. And it's actually, it's a term that's hard to define. This is um, a big landscape, right? What is post-Soviet literature? And it includes all those things, I think, um, to me anyway, that you just mentioned, right? Writers who are not ethnically Russian, who don't live in Russia, but who write in Russian. Um, also writers in the diaspora, in, in the US, in Germany, in Canada, right? They're they're writing in English actually, but they're former or, or they're ex-Soviet immigrants, right? They're, they're immigrants from the former Soviet Union. Um, they're part of that too. Uh, I don't know that I'd necessarily call them post-Soviet literature, they're actually diaspora literature, but again, these categories bleed into each other. Um, so it's actually a very, very wide um, field Right, I, I can't. I can't see there being a, like a border anywhere, particularly. It's like, uh, you know, there's no way. Uh, like, for instance, if I if I wrote a book and I, you know, I'm I'm sort of Russian, kind of. I left Russia when I was six. Would that be considered post-Soviet literature? No, they wouldn't be, right? Unless I mean, my themes were in that in that direction. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that's, 
Exactly. That's a great question, right? I, I would put it in the diaspora literature, right? Because normally we think post-Soviet literature, people who live in the post-Soviet space now, or at least sort of live, you know, both there and in the West, um, maybe they, they go back because now it's possible to, to do that. Mm -hmm. um, diaspora literature is people who live outside of uh, the Soviet space, um, but a lot of the themes are still tied to that space. Right. So, yeah, so there's, you know, there's some borders, I, I suppose, but they're very porous, just like the actual borders have now opened up, right? Literally right. also opened mm. up um, because uh, or, or largely because the actual borders are, are now able to be penetrated back and forth. Um, a really interesting question. Yeah. yeah. And we talk about unpunctured lines, right? Like how do we, what, what do we define as, as, you know, post-Soviet? I think, I think we have to sort of say post-Soviet and diaspora and, and Russophone, right? It's, yeah, there, there's no one easy category for this. And, and then, and then what's the reason for, what, why are we doing this in order to sort of cast a sort of a net uh, and then, you know, to, to understand where, where the, you know, folks are coming from to categorize and to sort of, Maybe it's kind of a, a meta question. I don't know if that's. <laughs> yeah. I think it's, it's human tendency, right? As human beings, just as to readers, make sense of things, readers, yeah. right? To make sense, right? Like, what do we mean? Um, right. But we know. I mean, once we start trying to categorize it, we see how these categories—they're useful categories, but they also fall apart at the same time, right? It's it's very complicated. Right. Yeah, well, right. Well said. Um, Here's another thing that I, I want to throw out again. I want to throw out some some big big ideas, big themes here. So, um, as I mentioned, you know, our our readers very sophisticated, though not specialists. Um, if they are familiar with um, literature in Russian, often it's going to be, you know, the looming nineteenth century writers, the right. classics. And maybe if we go a little further, they might be familiar with. You know some of the 20th century writers, early 20th century, uh, Bulgakov or or Isaac Babel. We 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 need to do a show on him, Roman. I, oh yes, I, I know, I know. Yes. Yeah. Um, so so help me with this. So I would say it's incredibly unfair if we were looking at contemporary American literature. I'll just say Colson Whitehead. Nobody looks at a novel by Colson Whitehead and says, "Well, how does this?" Um, how does this compare to Edgar Allan Poe or how does this compare to Herman Melville? I mean, people just don't do that. But I, I have to admit, um, for me, if we're talking about contemporary Russian literature, I'm thinking, how does it measure up? How is it related? What is its connection to the classics? And, and furthermore, I, I think when we're talking about the Russian classics, we're talking about a truly exclusive category, um, even above and beyond French literature or English literature. And I, I came across a quote um, by the great critic uh, George Steiner, who I believe died somewhat recently. Yeah, and he very old. he he really put this in perspective. And I I'd, I'd love to use this to think about what I'm getting at. And he said. Um, when we're thinking about particularly Tolstoy and Dostoevsky, he said they represent one of the three principal moments of triumph in the history of Western literature. The other two being the time of the uh, Athenian dramatists in Plato, and then the, the other being the age of Shakespeare. 
In all three, the Western mind leapt forward into darkness by means of poetic intuition. In them was assembled much of the light that we possess on the nature of man. And so that's a really amazing thing to say, to essentially say there are, you know, three pinnacles here in that um, uh, the Russian writers uh, form that, you know, that third side. So how do we deal with, you know, this, this legacy um, with these contemporary writers? Should we? Do we need to? I'm really curious, uh, both personally and sort of within the academic world, how that's treated. Right. Good question. And as you were saying, Tolstoy and and Dostoevsky, I sort of jotted down uh, Chekhov himself, right, measured himself against those giants, right? So yes, been happening in Russian literature throughout. So I think it's it's uh, normal, I guess. That the, Talk about the anxiety of influence. Jeez. Talk about the anxiety. Totally. <laughs> yeah. And I think a lot of Russian writers also, I, I don't want to get into their heads, but, you know, sort of maybe measure themselves in whatever way, right, against uh, those two. And really, um, you know, if, if you're in the West and you know anything about Russian literature, right, you're going to know those two, right? It's Tolstoy, Dostoevsky, maybe you know someone else, but those are the the giants. So I guess that that happens. Um, and, and, you know, I... It happens, I guess. Um, but and and actually, uh, one of the biggest names in uh, contemporary Russian women writers is Lyudmila Ulitskaya, um, and she's been uh, sort of I don't know compared by critics or scholars, whoever, to to going back to that realist tradition in Russian literature, right? So, right, the Tolstoy. They've been comparing her, right? Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, you know, it happens. It happens all the time, right? People get compared. Um, should they get compared? No. Um, you know, every writer is their own writer. Every period is its own period. And um, there are other, many, many, many other Russian great writers besides Tolstoy and, and Dostoevsky. Um, are we ever going to get away from the comparison? I hope so. I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it, but... Um, yeah, I don't really know. That's a great question. I don't really know why we do. But you know, it seems it seems like there's a continuation. There's some sort of a continuum uh, in any kind of a cultural literary tradition. So even though you don't want to be compared to the yeah. earlier voices, but you have to acknowledge that they're there and they're somehow in your work's DNA. Somehow, I mean, because uh, you're using the same language, you're just down the line in time-wise a little bit. Absolutely. And and it is a true you know, the comparison, I guess, doesn't have to be negative, right? It's, it's as you said, it's, right. a, it's a tradition. I mean, uh, another huge, huge name in uh, Russian contemporary women's literature is Ludmila Petrushevska. And she has said very openly, and you can see it in her work, that one of her favorite writers is Dostoevsky. Um, and she really has inherited that kind of, you know, writing about the steamy underside of life. Mm. Did, and, and she does. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, you can take something from the comparison and, and, um, Russian writers, uh, or writers in general take things from other writers, right? There's a lot of intertextuality. Right. I mean, in, in, what is it? What's, uh, what's the technical term? Intertextuality. There's, yeah. Yeah. everybody is borrowing from everybody else. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. And, and that's a good thing, right? That they're doing it in a yes. positive, sometimes they're making fun of the writer. Of course, they're rewriting them, 
but but it's also paying homage to to those writers. Um, but yeah, I do think um, to get back to your original uh, question that that we do have this tendency in the West, right? If you know anything about Russian lit, you will have read you know Anna Karenina, The War and Peace, and and novels by Dostoevsky, and maybe some others. But it's not so much the contemporary stuff. I, I mean, with, with exceptions, obviously. Um, and and um, you know, hopefully, like. Part of the reason why we started the blog um, with Olga is to kind of try to change that, to kind of bring the contemporary more into the public eye. Mm. Yeah, because the contemporary is quite different. I mean, sorry, Rob, it just with with the whole immigration thing, for instance, that wasn't really uh, the, the themes of the 19th century. Right. Uh, what, what happens when a, a Russian, uh, you know, like say Sergei Devlatov, I just tweeted about him. Yeah. You know, he he was a, a journalist, a writer, uh, quite quite unique and quite interesting. Um, but he left in 1979, and he ended up being here, as he, you know, I think he divides immigration into various levels, like you know, cultural immigration, economic immigration. So he was definitely part of the cultural immigration. Um, but he was a little bit lost here yeah. for a while. Uh, until he found his sort of way and then ended up being published in The New Yorker. Um, but that's a major thing when you leave your home country and you go to a completely different country and change languages. That's something that's not a 19th century trope, you know, not at something all. new. Not at all. Yeah. And Nabokov, you know, we have Nabokov. Yeah, yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. Um, and, and those are... Um, you know, we talk about individual Russian-American writers, right? Like Nabokov, we're still arguing about whether he's Russian, he's American, right? What, where do we place him? Um, and Brodsky and Davlatov. And now we have an entire crop of diaspora writers, right? We actually have a thing uh, called Russian-American fiction and, and poetry now too, actually, Russian-American literature. Um, mm -hmm. And precisely an entire uh, grouping of, of these um, immigrants who left um, in the third and fourth wave. Um, sort of from the 70s to the 90s, and are now here in the U.S. and in uh, Germany and in Canada and in some other places, and they are writing about immigration, about Russian themes, not only, but but a lot of it is about that. But they're doing it in English and and mm -hmm. or German if they're in Germany. Um, and so yeah, that's a whole that's an out outgrowth, I guess. That's, again, getting back to that question of what is post-Soviet literature. That's not maybe exactly the same thing, but it's definitely diaspora literature. So, yeah, this is something new. This is an absolutely new development. You didn't have immigrants in the 19th Right. And then you have, then you have the Russian-Jewish immigrant connection. That's, well, that's a whole, yeah. not, not a big, you know, big subdivision of that, of that area. Yes. And all of these uh, Russian-American, right, this is a term that publishers use, right? It's not even necessarily maybe the most accurate, but this is kind of what's come into the lexicon. These Russian-American writers are 99%, all of them are Jewish. Yeah. <laughs> um, with the right? I mean, I mean, every, almost everyone is. There's a funny, um, I was just reading some Devlatov yesterday, and there's a, he's, a, he's got a funny little story about, it's called, We're Surrounded by Jews. And it's about uh, what, a, a meeting in Leningrad in 1968, I believe, of, of the young literati, you know, the people who were into literature. And and I guess uh, the, somebody snuck in there, a few people snuck in there that kind of denounced them. And it was mostly Jews. And they were talking about you know, supposedly how, you know, how bad the Soviet people were and the Soviet system. So they would get denounced. But it was, you know, mostly Jews, 1968, in a literary meeting in a, in a, in a cultural institution in Leningrad somewhere. It's pretty funny, actually. 
Yeah, I mean, yeah, exactly. It's, um, I remember having a conversation or, or something uh, where, uh, you know, it, it's sort of, I mean, this is almost stereotypically natural, right? Like um, the Jews, people of the book, right? Education. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is not a surprise to me at all that there is now such a large uh, presence of Russian Jews uh, writing in England, right? The, the, in the right. diaspora, right? I mean, yeah. of course, right? It's, yeah, yeah, it's in the blood. It's in the blood, right? If we were all circus performers, you know, that might be surprising. But no, this is yeah. natural um, outgrowth. Alan, um, Alan Ginsberg um, used to say something very similar, and I, and I believe his um, his grandfather was um, Russian Jewish uh, immigrant. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah, um, I I want to um, point out a couple of things. One is I do want to get to. Uh, you know, your recommendations, your books. I, I want to get to that. Um, I also want to point out to folks that um, there's a really great post on Punctured Lines from earlier this year. Um, it's called Notable Books, Russian Titles in English, Translation 2009 to 2019. So that's a good place. We'll tweet that out as well. So that's a really good place to go to, um, to have links uh, to these authors. But, um, Yelena, I, I want to throw this out at you. Um, uh, I looked at some of your reviews in the Los Angeles Review of Books. I recommend folks go there and, and read some of those. Um, you, I think you clearly have a love for Elena Chisova, if I got that correct. Yep. And um, I, I, I saw an interesting parallel because one of the things that helps me when I'm going into a new area is, you know, what are, what are some of the themes that that writers are grappling with. And um, in a review of um, The Time of Women, you wrote, um, The Time of Women, like much contemporary Russian literature, explores the effects of the Soviet legacy on the country's inhabitants. Um, and you said this particular novel, The Time of Women, underscores how modern Russian self-identity is inextricably linked with the scars, both physical and psychological, of the Soviet era. And it, it really, that really, uh, aligned with, um, a quote I came across, uh, by, uh, Alexeyevich, Svetlana Alexeyevich. And she said that if you look back at the whole of our history, both Soviet and post-Soviet, it is a huge common grave and a bloodbath, an eternal dialogue of the executioners and the victims, the accursed, the accursed Russian questions, what is to be done? And who is to blame? I mean, it's really, really um, Speaking devastating. of the 19th century, what is to be done? <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's so, a direct echo. So, um, you know, is that uh, for readers who want to uh, start uh, wading into to this new literature, is that one theme to kind of, uh, uh, you know, bring with them uh, when they think about these writers and they think about the territory? I'm, I'm laughing through tears because um, you know, someone who hasn't read contemporary Russian literature, right, we are bringing in the themes of graves and executioners and victims and torturers and scars. So, so, but, but disavow so, me, disavow me if, if, if that's not the case. No, 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 that is the case. That is absolutely oh. the case. I always say to my students, if you want happy, don't study Russian literature, right? We're going to like get, you know, get used to your depression. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, that's that's actually um, 
one of the themes that I think uh, is definitely, definitely present in contemporary Russian literature. It was present uh, throughout, uh, you know, right after the Soviet Union fell apart in the early post-Soviet period um, with writers, for example, like uh, Pilevin, um, who, who was grappling with, uh, you know, what does it mean to have to have the Soviet legacy, right? To live in this country that was a totalitarian regime. Um, this is the only thing people knew and people resisted it, of course, but it left its scars, right? It leaves its legacy. Um, and this is what Chizhova grapples with in the time of women as well. Um, and the, the Leningrad blockade, the siege, is, is a very important uh, element of, of that novel. Um, and I just read, the, actually, uh, these were on my to-be-read pile, um, and in, in trying to prepare for, for this show, I read these two uh, wonderful novels. One is by um, uh, Margarita Hemlin, which is called Klutzvog. It's the last name of uh, the main character. And another one, and, and that one is in the English translation that, that's available by um, Lisa Hayden. Um, and Lisa Hayden also translated um, a novel by Guzel Yahina, which is called Zuleha Opens Her Eyes. Um, both of them are, are wonderful novels, and they both deal specifically with this question, right, with, in, in different ways, with the Soviet legacy, with what it means to have grown up um, in, in that environment. Um, Klotzvog has a Jewish main character, right, so it's dealing with the effects of anti-Semitism, of what it means to be a Jew in a systemically anti-Semitic society. Um, and then Yahina's novel is about um, uh, the the kulaks, right? The the peasants who were accused of being rich and and sort of stripped of their private property when when the Bolsheviks came into power, and um, sent to Siberia, the, right? They were relocated. The the people who were relocated, and um, it's it's an absolutely brutal. Not even talk about you know torture and and all of that, mm -hmm. but it's a fantastic novel. It's it's um, I I can't say enough good things about this novel, um, and it, it won all sorts of prizes, so it's, it's very well known in Russia, so that, that might be, for anyone brave enough to, to start, it <laughs> might be a good, uh, a good place to start. That's a great recommendation. Well, what about the other side of sort of the, the, the Russian psyche, which is uh, humor? Humor. Uh, right, because, you know, there's, you know, like speaking of Devlatov, for instance, there's always that, or even like Dostoevsky, I found, even like yeah. in, 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 yeah. in things, in pieces are so, that, that cut to the bone, like uh, well, uh, Notes on the Underground. Too, there's, it's very funny in a way. But the, 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 the humor, the, that specifically Russian humor is kind of built into the language, it seems like. You don't have to make a joke to make it funny. Do you know, right. do you know what I'm saying, Yelena? Right. Um, so what what about that aspect of Russian literature? How is that surviving in, in the modern uh, sort of scene? Is there any, because like you said, brutal, um, which is, you know, we have to look at these things, of course, and they're powerful. But also, I like I like that, that other aspect of, of the Russian sort of psyche, the writer's psyche with that, that little, you know, humorous imp or something, I don't know. No, absolutely, absolutely, and humor as resistance too, right? Yes, I mean, yes. I mean, there was humor in the Holocaust. There was humor under totalitarianism, right? This is humor as I mean, the books have been written on it, right? Like humor. Right. As, yeah, I have a whole yeah, I have a whole book about you know, Soviet jokes. Yeah. Your your right. your father and your and your brother used to tell us great jokes. Oh yes, from the Soviet yes. Days. yeah, yes, yeah. 
yeah, it's the anecdote, right? The the way that the people uh, survive. You know, one of the ways that, that people sort of survived uh, in the Soviet Union, right, is you, you turn it into a funny story. Right. Fun third, right? It's absurd. It's a very special kind of, of humor, um, sort of dark humor. Um, yeah, no, I think there's a lot of humor in Russian literature and people don't quite uh, think of it that way. Well, but maybe because it doesn't come across in the translation, no. because I found it, uh, sorry to interrupt you, but it's. I think it's, like I said, it's built into the language a lot of times. And so it's impossible to get it across. Right, right. That, yeah. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm thinking like uh, even, you know, Master and Margarita, right, by, by Bulgakov, which is um, dealing with very heavy themes, Stalinism, mm -hmm. uh, right, uh, oppression of writers. But it is funny. It is such a funny um, And so is Zoshinka, right? Yes. And, and My parents love Zoshinka. He was, he was their darling. My yeah. mom, yes. <laughs> and, and even Harms can be funny. Right. Well, in an absurd way, yes. And yeah, but definitely right. funny, yes. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. I'm talking about like like this whole post-Soviet, you know, where where your sort of your your sort of academic specialty. Where do you see any strands of that in 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 sort of in that milieu? I mean, that, I think this is going to sound strange for anyone who's read it, but I think Petrushevska can be really funny. She's very very dark. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. But there there are these. Um, it's sort of kind of the recognition of the absurdity of life and you're laughing at it, right? Just because it's so absurd and so dark and so bleak. Um, so I think humor, you know, comes out in, in her writing that way. Um, but again, it's, if, you know, if you're looking for sort of straight up laugh out loud. No, 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 no that's not. Right? No. That's not going to happen, right? No, right. that's not that. That's not what I meant. That yeah, I just meant that you know, it's this. You're you're laughing through your tears, so to speak. Yeah. You know, but and, like, and, oh, that's and, funny. And but it Roman, hurts. maybe. Um, for those of us who who don't read Russian, is, is that humor reflected a bit in something like uh, Gary Steingart? It, it, I, I know he's he's a he was Russian born and is more of an American writer at this point. But is this the kind of snarky? Yeah, a little yeah. bit, a little bit. But again, because because what I'm talking about is 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 part of the Russian language. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, while you, you can translate a little bit of a uh, flavor of that, what you're missing is is that whole, even though, again, I left early on, I still have this cultural background, mm -hmm. partly because of the language. In fact, mostly because of the language, because I was only six when I left. I mean, what do I have memories-wise? Nothing, really. Um, but the language stayed with me, and the language is f can, can give you these, these laughs. Uh, maybe using you know the Russians you know the Russian language is built in for diminutives that that's yeah. Um, yeah. that kind of stuff. But the way it's used, or especially drunk humor, like Dovlatov yesterday, I was reading this little short story about about these two Russian guys getting completely lit and drunk, and they they open the window and they go for a little flight, you know, and then there's suddenly there's this conversation and they're. They're talking about, you know, what about this this new guy? He, uh, he's supposed to be Jewish in the factory. It's like, well, you know, we thought he was Jewish, but then he ended up being a really good drinking guy. So, <laughs> you know, meanwhile, they're just very, very drunk and having these conversations. So, but yeah. in Russian, it comes across as just hilarious. I gave you a little bit of the translation, but it's, you know, it's a little funny. But in Russian, it's hilarious. <laughs> Right. And uh, yeah, that reminded me of a Petrushevsky show has a story called, um, uh, I think in English it's translated to Our Circle, where um, there's just a circle of friends who are uh, really not terribly nice people, but they get drunk every Friday and, and you know, sort of, <laughs> uh, very, sort of uh, very dark, absurd fun ensues, right? Uh -huh, uh -huh. 
is brutal. So, you know, again, we're back to the brutality question. Right. Um, in, in a personal way, this isn't historical brutality, this is personal brutality. But yeah, um, it, as far as Steingart, I mean, the minute you mentioned Steingart, it's again, Steingart is, um, uh, someone will have my head for this. I, I don't actually enjoy <laughs> the novels. Um, I'm in the minority, I know. Uh, I love his essays, though. Um, and Steingart, I do give him massive amounts of credit. He is the one who basically single-handedly started the genre of um, Russian diaspora literature, this Russian-American. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, I think of, I think of Steingart as sort of like a Ginsburg figure, where, he, where, he's, where he's, he's more of like a glue. He spreads things, he blurbs everybody, he's right. a great mocker, he's a great organizer, you know? Right, right. He also puts out, um, you know, I think he has four novels and a memoir, maybe three novels and a memoir at this point. Um, and uh, yeah, they're not my cup of tea, but, you know, I do give the guy absolute credit. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, he's been compared... Uh, I guess maybe to like that the Golian strand of humor, mm, mm. maybe that kind of, um, he's very uh, sort of, if you like in your face kind of, um, you know, shooting scenes and car chases, he's your guy. Um, so yeah, he can be funny. Um, yeah, I enjoyed his first novel and then I, and then I kind of, I didn't like it anymore. <laughs> but I like, I like his spirit. I like his, uh, whenever he talks, I like to listen to him because he's a great talker. Right. Right, right, and he certainly he's done a lot to promote Russian American uh, fiction and and other writers, and he does blurb their books, and so yeah. Yelena, you, you, we probably should have asked this in the beginning, but do you mind if I ask you like, what's your background? When did you come here? And uh, well, um, we came. Uh, we were um, not sure when you came, but we were part of the um, the third wave, right? So late seventies. Uh, when it was still the Soviet Union, um, so uh, same here, seventy-eight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, so yeah, it was it was um, a very different time. Um, talking about borders, you know, being opened, the borders were closed. No one thought they were ever going to be able to come back, or you know, no one was particularly wanting to go back to there. I guess. <laughs> um, and then it. Um, it fell apart, and uh, you know, there's things where you had to fill out, like, uh, you know, where where were you born? I was like, I don't know what to put because the country doesn't exist anymore. Right, right. I've had that for years. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you sort of had to talk around that, like. Um, but um, and I actually stayed. Like we were talking about sort of Russian language. That's that's how I stayed connected to to it. Um, you know, we spoke Russian at home, and I read, and um, that's kind of how I ended up doing what I do now, which is teaching Right, because of all the reading, right. Uh, yeah, totally boring <laughs> story. This is just, yeah. Sounds familiar. <laughs> but I did, and I grew up, as I think a lot of us uh, do, exactly on the Russian classics, right? So, like, I wasn't reading the modern stuff. I didn't know anything about the modern stuff. This is something that came later. So, I mean, it's so ingrained in you, right, this classic, the classical yeah. canon. Um, that you really have to make an effort, to, and which is great. You know, I'm not knocking it. I, I absolutely love it. Um, but you do have to make an effort to go beyond that if, if you're interested in sort of the literature as a whole. Um, Elena, can I ask you something um, about the writing in Russian mm -hmm. uh, as far as where it's going? Um, because last I, for my Nabokov days, I, I got onto Sasha Sokolov mm -hmm. and he was doing some interesting experiments with Russian um, is there something going on nowadays that are that is experimental, is interesting, maybe that you've been noticing? 
Um, just, you know, just as far as just monkeying around with the language itself. Well, there's a lot of, yeah, there's a lot. And I have to preface this by saying I, I am uh, much less familiar with poetry than I am with prose, but there's some interesting experiments um, I think going as, as far as I can tell, um, uh, going on with Russian poetry um, from women, um, there's a lot of queer poetry that's coming out now. Mm. Um, and they're kind of trying to get away from um, the traditional, you know, Russian poetry rhymes traditionally, right? But there's that classical way of writing poetry. And so people are trying to sort of get away from that. Um, uh, you know, and I'm assuming having the whole uh, political situation being so harsh, it's actually, um almost spurring innovation uh, because you have to be it could be yeah. or somehow i don't know <laughs> yeah it could like be in the old days <laughs> right right like in the old days you had to talk around that and yeah but there's one writer who um she doesn't write so much anymore but she was very big in kind of the early post-soviet period and that is um uh, narbikova uh, valeria narbikova and she is, when you say Russian experimental writing, she is the one that springs to my mind first. Um, she uh, does things, and, and she's been translated into English, and her most famous novel is called in English, uh, Day Equals Night, or the Equilibrium of Diurnal and Nocturnal Starlight, which gives you a sense. Wow, wow. wow. that's great. That's yeah. great. So it's N-A-R-B-I-K-O-V-A? Yeah, yeah, Valeria. Uh, her first name. Yeah, I will she definitely has, look her up. She's not a contemporary contemporary writer in the sense that I think she started. She was also a painter, and I think she went more in that direction. Um, but she was very uh, painter, say, huh? Painting is always fifty years ahead of writing, according right. to William Burroughs. Right. Um, but she has, for anyone who's interested in uh, sort of experimental playing with language making it do things that you know she plays with russian has very strict orthographical rules i guess every language does and she breaks them and she mm. breaks every sort of rule in her writing and i cannot even imagine how what the translator must have gone through <laughs> but they did a great job um and a couple of her things are translated into english so anyone interested in kind of non-traditional very experimental um Women writers, um, yes. you know, very, very sort of uh, very open about, you know, sexuality and, and those things. Um, she would be a wonderful place to start. Unfortunately, I think a lot of her books are out of print, but you can still find them. You can you can still get them. Surely we can. Yeah, that's a great that's a great recommendation, because like I said, I, I kind of got stuck on Sasha Sokolov and I'm like, who's who else is kind of doing interesting things? And uh, well, do you know what happened to Sokolov? Is he still around? Is he still alive? He's kind of a mysterious figure. He is figure I, I read him years and years ago and he sort of fell off my radar um i, I think it fell off everybody's radar probably right <laughs> right a lot of these writers yeah it's sort of like they, they they were writing at a specific period and then they kind of tapered off and well isn't that the danger of this whole uh, post post literature because you're scattered uh, culturally you're scattered geographically you're scattered in a way psychologically um, so, uh, you know, things get lost here and there. This is not, this is not a monolithic, you know, American literature of the 20th century, uh, kind of thing. It's that's a splintered true. thing. That's true. Although, yeah, it's a very splintered thing, uh, with the immigration, with all the, the different communities. But on the other hand, we're now so interconnected, right, with technology, with the fact that you can go back and forth between where you came from and where you live now. Um, in a way it's almost 
I don't know if it's more connection, but it's it's a different kind of of um, being very connected. Mm, yes, yes. And I guess it depends, you know, for some immigrant writers, they, they say, like, I don't want to go back to, to Russia. You know, I my life is in the U.S. And others go back and forth and are much more connected to it. So it, it's also, it's a, you know, there's a, a variance in, in these writers as well. And and I just want to say that, um, you know, since we're talking about the diaspora writers, um, the vast majority of them are women. Um, mm. I don't know the reason for that, but but there are some um, excellent, excellent women writers. Yeah, who who should we um, give us two or three names in, in, in a few books of this diaspora that uh, that should be at the top of someone's list? Right. Well, I, I have to say, and, and I'm, I, I know I'm biased, but that's not why I'm saying it. It's actually a fantastic book, Olga Zilberburg's um, Like Water and Other Stories, um, mm-hmm. which came out last year. Um, it's a fantastic, fantastic collection of, of short stories. Um, I can't, again, I can't say enough of good things about she it. Was, uh, she was born in Leningrad, right? Or St. Petersburg? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then there is, um, God, there's so many. Um, there's actually another Olga, Olga Liefschen, um, who whose book is called uh, A Life Replaced. And it's, she's a poet and a translator. And so half of the book or, or part of the book is her original poems. And then part of it is her translations, including of um, Anach Makhava. Mm. Um, and it's kind of, a, she's having kind of a, a conversation with Akhmakova and it's, it's just brilliantly done. So I, I highly recommend that as well. Um, and then who else? God, there, there are so many. Um, there's one. It's um, so nice to have to hear that. There's just so many. I love yeah. that. There it's are. And, and the great thing is, um, and this is this is of course a problem, but also a great thing. It's a developing field, right? So new writers are coming onto the scene all the time, and it's hard to get a handle on, you know, because everyone's putting out books. Um, but it's great. Well, it um, must be exciting for you to be yeah. studying that. That's that's yeah. that's diversity is just going crazy. That's wonderful. Absolutely, yeah. Um, there's another book that I. Um, I just I have to recommend uh, I've recommended it to everyone. Um, it's by Irina Rain, um, R E Y N, and the the book title is uh, What Happened to Anna Kay, and it's a rewrite of Anna Karenina that's set in Russian immigrant New York. Mm. Um, uh, nice, absolutely nice. brilliant. I think I've seen a, a, a blog blog post on that. Right? Sorry, you. I think I've seen the, the I think you posted on that uh, on punctured lines. I believe, maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Of course, I, I know I've talked about it. I've, I've yes. definitely talked about it. It is, it is such a fantastic book. It's very creative. Um, yeah. Um, and we, we had, on Punctured Lines, we had another uh, really wonderful uh, writer. Um, we had a, a Q&A with her, Lara Vapnyar, V-A-P-N-Y-A-R. Um, and her recent uh, novel is called Divide Me by Zero, which, which is a wonderful novel. And she's also a short story writer. And her very first collection was called There Are Jews in My House, which is another um, really great title. Um, <laughs> great title. I can send everyone all these titles. Um, I can talk <laughs> forever. This is exactly what I study. And, and yeah, I, I mean, there, well, there's so many. There's so many. We're certainly going to post. We're going to post. We have a, a bunch of those, those names from uh, from emails. So we'll we'll post a bunch of them on the on the yeah. site for sure. Yeah. And, and um, Yelena, what question um, that as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking of this um, richness of women's writers, it, is there any connection with um, if we if we look to try to say anything positive about um, the Soviet years? W- one of my 
one of my impressions might be is that in socialist communist countries, there was um, more equity between genders in terms of employment and things like this. And, and maybe you can disavow me of, of that in practice uh, during the Soviet Union. But were women given, um, uh, were they able to break gender roles in ways in the 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s that often women in the West weren't? And, and, and has that legacy led to you know, more women uh, asserting themselves as writers. Is is there anything that... Because it certainly seems like that, right? It seems yeah. like a lot of the major Russian writers right now are women, which is uh, great, but it's just not the case, you know, elsewhere, seemingly. Yeah, I mean, yes and no, right? Like, so on paper, right, the Bolsheviks were very egalitarian. They came in and they, they sort of, you know, legalized yeah. abortion and divorce and, uh, you know, tried to equalize childcare, right, in, in whatever clumsy way. Um, in practice, that didn't, I mean, yes, women were expected to work uh, just like men because it was a worker state, right? But women were also expected to do all the childcare and all yeah. the, the Sounds housework. familiar. Right, sounds familiar. So it was a double burden, right? Um, so in one sense, yeah, I guess you could say they were in the workforce and it was more egalitarian than, than in mm. the West, And in, but they were still expected to do the double shifts at home and all the child yeah. So there wasn't, I, I, there wasn't uh, as far as my understanding of the period, uh, there wasn't that much breaking of any gender roles, um, gotcha. yep. you know. Um, but the, the, the relation to, to the contemporary writers is... Um, the, the period that I sort of studied in, in, in graduate school and, and wrote about later was, of course, this contemporary Russian women writing. And what happened there was, um, this, so it, this was during Glasnost um, and as the Soviet Union was falling apart. And uh, Russian literature has always had women writers, right? But they were never, I mean, there's Akhmatova, there's Tsukaeva, there's, there's people in the 19th century. But with the exceptions of Akhmatov and Tsitaeva, the Russian canon is overwhelmingly male. I mean, it's just, right? Um, and women's writing uh, was a pejorative. Women's writing meant you were dealing with narrow domestic themes and love mm -hmm. and family and right. And so it was the very, and, and even today, a lot of Russian women writers will, is, you know, reject that label. I'm not a woman writer. I'm not a feminine. I'm not anything, you know, don't put me in that camp because it has had such negative connotations. And during... Um, Glossmist, um, there was a bunch of women writers who um, simply couldn't get their work published, right? The male editors wouldn't publish them, and uh, one of them was told, you know, you write as though you're constantly pregnant, nobody wants to read this. And they got together and they put out their own anthologies and started publishing their own work. And this is, um, I think I, I mentioned in the Vesnesianskaya post, right, this is what we call um, sort of new women's prose, right? It's, it's about writing the body, it's about writing women's experiences, it's about um, women writers creating a female space in Russian literature. So that's where I see it happening, right? Rather than, you know, in the 50s or 60s or 70s or whatever, breaking gender roles, it, it really happens sort of as the Soviet Union was falling apart and in the early post-Soviet period. Um, and, and they really ushered in a, a different period of, of Russian literature. They, they really opened it up to women's voices um, and, and shattered some stereotypes that way. And how is the publishing world going on like in, in Russia right now? Is the pubbing, because we're a little bit out of the loop 
uh, with, with Russia. So is it booming? Is it are people reading? Do you, do you have any idea of that? I mean, I don't know what I'm asking you, particularly here in yeah. L.A. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, people are reading. People are, are publishing, uh, you know, these uh, the two novels I mentioned, the, the Yahina and, and Kimlin um, are very recent novels. So, you know, Chizova is writing. Um, so people are reading and they're being translated here. Um, but, you know, we talked on Punctured Lines uh, and, and elsewhere about, uh, you know, the, the disparity with, like, say, women winning major Russian literary prizes, um, right, the Russian Booker and the National Bestseller. I mean, it's not that women don't win, but if you look at the statistics, right? There's a disparity. Right? right. So there's still some sort of sense that, you know, literature is a men's purview, right? I, I mean, not... Mm. I, that's sort of generalizing it. I mean, obviously, um, but you know, yeah, there there are many many women writers. Um, so I, I think you know, Russian literature is in very capable hands. Beautifully said. Yeah. Here. Um, so we've we've kind of come to our 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 usual uh, uh, time here. Um, any any sort of parting thoughts? Um, you know, before I sort of sign off, I I also just wanted to. Again, with this idea of themes, you know, uh, Yelena, you had wrote a review of uh, Chizova's book, Little Zinobars. Did I get that? Yeah. Can you say it one more time, please? Little Zinobars. Yeah. So, um, and you you said, you know, it, it has a theme, um, which you often find in a lot of post-Soviet works of, you know, the individual versus the collective. And, and so that, that's a... That that makes sense to me, um, and and you know characters who are trying to discover, find, preserve, um, you know their individuality, um, and I, I've been thinking a little bit about this idea of the collective, uh, you know, with the pandemic, and you know you look at the way China responded with its its more collective orientation, both culturally and politically, and and then you look at the United States with our clear individuality and, and sort of how that's worked out. And, and so um, that's been on my mind uh, a lot. And then to see you writing about that uh, in terms of these writers, that makes sense. And, and that's a rich, uh, a rich vein to explore for writers for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's such a, you know, it was such a collective society, right? It's sort of dealing, it's, it's part of that dealing with the Soviet legacy, right? It was a very yeah. society individual was very subordinate. Um, and, you know, how do we, what toll does that take, right? Again, it's back to those scars, right? It's, it's that individual trying to find ways to, to resist. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that one of the first uh, books that dealt with that was by a Russian, Zimyatin, right? We. Yes, we, yes. We, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's 1984 and Brave New World and um, yeah, the Russian yeah. got first. Roll and, into and one. Good reason, <laughs> very good reason, right? He saw what was going on around him, I, I mean. Yeah, it wasn't. It wasn't totally. He wasn't totally just imagining some far future. He, it was. It was very close to home. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, Roman, any any departing thoughts here as we we sign off? This has been uh, a great. I'm discussion. just excited. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I'm just excited to explore some of these writers that Yelena mentioned. Um, it's good to hear that Russia is doing fine literature wise. Uh, um, not reading the next Belevin book, which is 700 pages. No, thank you. Uh, and the funny thing is, you know, you, 
with him at least. I mean, you read one book, you kind of read them, read them all. Um, so yes, yeah, so I'm I'm just excited to try something new and interesting. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot, and yeah, yeah. if, if um, you know, for everyone, I, I know this is going to be a very big surprise when I say this, but read Wisniewska, read the Women's Decameron, right? I have to say that. Ah, uh, yes, yes, yes. I love that. The speaking of influence, the, the, the <laughs> Women's Decameron. I'm going to write that down. So yeah, it's been really enjoyable. I really enjoy this conversation, you guys. And um, we we will uh, extend an open invitation. So um, we hope that you come back. And um, when you when you just have an obsession that you need to share with people, yeah, uh, let us know because that's that's what we like to do. Um, so so thanks again, and um, we wish you the best uh, teaching this fall, um, and the best with uh, with your own writing and with with punctured lines. So. So that's it for us today. We'll we'll sign off and, and thanks everybody for joining. And remember that you can follow us uh, on Twitter. Um, and that's it. Thanks so much. And thank, thank you, you, Heston. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Bye everyone. Bye bye.